Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Hi, everybody. This is Kevin, and I'm really sorry about the delayed podcast. I usually get it out on Saturday morning, and I'm adding this blurb after I've already recorded the rest, which follows. But I forgot to say that this podcast has no affiliation with the University of Florida. It's faculty, staff, students, administration, custodians, whatever. Um, it has no, it's just purely me, me as a private citizen who can't speak about science as a professional. <laughs> That's the strange world that we live in. This is a really important podcast, and I'm I, um, sorry that it's late. Um, I really appreciate your patience on this one, but I think you'll understand why. I had to record the beginning music by holding my phone up to the microphone with last week's session on it. <laughs> I, I, I had equipment failures and some crazy other tragedies this week that changed my ability to do this normally and uh, you know I'm working hard in the field to make it happen so <laughs> bear with me listen carefully and I'll talk to you next week thank you for listening Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet. I'm Kevin Fogel. I'm a professor, podcast host, and today we're going to talk about... <laughs> Hi, it's me. Yeah, that was a recorded introduction because today is a very special episode of the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's a... Uh, a little bit different than what we normally do because I have a number of interesting circumstances. So for six years, I've done pretty good at hitting the mark and having a weekly podcast. This week, I had a great interview and another really good debunking of Jeffrey Smith speaking on another podcast, which was generally pretty credible. A few weeks ago, or a month ago, Two months ago, Jeffrey Smith's people reached out to be on Talking Biotech, and I was very happy to oblige. I would have loved to have spoken to him, um, and he canceled at the last minute. But another podcast was happy to have him on, and it's a pretty decent podcast. And they allowed him to come aboard and make up BS for about an hour, and I take it apart line by line. And that was all going great. I was going to run that one this week. The problem is a little bit of some unusual personal circumstances. So last Friday, my father went in for heart surgery. My dad's a sharp guy. Uh, he's the guy who got me into science. He's a brilliant scientist himself, even though he would never claim to have formal training in science. Uh, he's an expert in antennas and uh, uh, radio communications. Um, has a high school and a little bit more training formally, but years of training in the field, probably 50 years of training um, in doing what he does. Or more than that, he started being a ham operator at 14 years old. So he had a uh, heart 
surgery last Friday that went amazingly well in terms of the heart surgery, but did not emerge from the anesthesia in the same way that he went in. Uh, an MRI would reveal, reveal a stroke. Well, no, a small stroke in the wrong place. So I am on a jet to Chicago when I would be editing a podcast my computer died this week, so I don't have a computer that, <laughs> that I can download the previous episodes to, hence my recorded beginning. Um, I sat with him most of the day today, and we're making progress. He, the lights are on. He knows I'm there. He's relearning how to swallow, relearning how to speak, uh, and it's going to be a long battle for quite a while, but... Um, Lots of other complications on top of this, and it's a mess. It's personally very taxing. That's all right, because this is the stuff I do. We make problems go away. That's what we do on the Talking Biotech podcast every week, and that's how I like to roll. But the reason this is so important is because uh, I didn't want to leave a week without a podcast. I owe it to the great loyal fans that we have in terms of a podcast, you have lots of opportunities to go elsewhere, and you stay here with Talking Biotech. We really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. I always say we, like there's a team of people, <laughs> which breaks my heart. I listen to Science Versus, which is a great podcast, and they'll say, uh, so-and-so does the website, so-and-so, so-and-so does uh, production. They have this gigantic team of people. It's just me and a microphone and a computer, and a computer that crashed, and I don't have the normal software to do the podcast. So... I'm using this alternative, and we're going to get it done. So what to do in a absence of a guest? And I got plenty of things to talk about. But the number one thing I really want to express is the idea of how do we confront the vaccine hesitant, and what did we learn about, hacks, about vaccine hesitancy from genetic engineering hesitancy? And when you look at these things side by side, I think you really start to understand the mind of the vaccine hesitant. Now, we're in a pandemic, global pandemic. Things are awful. And the Delta variant is surging. And the real reality is there's lots of people who are infected who don't have to be. It was something like 110,000 unnecessary ICU visits at the cost of over $3 billion to the U.S. economy. Um, it's something like $78,000 for everybody who goes into ICU with COVID. So um, stepping back a little bit, uh, this is still a problem. And how do we make it go away? And I'm still a firm believer that we can do this better with communication than we can with mandates and bans. And President Biden talked about this week, this mandate to have businesses mandate vaccination among employees. And I don't know that that works. You can't make people do the right thing by forcing them to do it. And so the reason that I wanted to get with you today on this podcast is what if we were able to try to inspire good change, not by mandates, but by our actions, and then talking about our values. Why is it important? And how can we inspire others to do it? And how can we do this through social media? And I want to talk about the hashtag science hug. 
And so even if you hang up on me here today, right now, and you turn this off and go, he doesn't have a guest, so I don't want to listen to him drone on, that's fine. I want you to check out the hashtag science hug, and I'll explain more at the end. So the interesting thing for me, as, as someone who's interested in science and the science of science communication, is what the heck is going on in a pandemic in terms of the communication strategy that we see um, people against science using? And then what are we doing as scientists? And it's amazing how parallel these things really are. You see these very strong ideological camps that are deeply entrenched. You see voices of opposition to vaccination, um, which have always been there, but now are finding a political basis, which it never had. Um, politicizing a vaccine in a pandemic is like politicizing a life preserver in a sinking ship. Uh, it doesn't bode well for the folks who you probably need to influence, right? And so there's this politicization going on, and it doesn't help solve the problem. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Both anti-vaccination and anti-GMO both share the rejection of experts and the maligning of experts. But the main thing that bothers me is a tone deafness in science communicators and on those of us that love science. When we respond to those who have problems with science and social media, and I'll give you a good example. Over the last month or two, a number of personalities have suffered and died from COVID-19 who may be neglected to acknowledge that it even existed, who, who rallied against vaccination. People who said, don't wear masks. People who said social distancing is all a joke. It's, this whole thing is a joke. It's the China virus. And if you're going to put a face diaper on, trust Jesus instead. You know, there's people who said things like that. Turn on Fox Nation if you don't believe me. I mean, I watch all this stuff just to see what's going on. And, and those are the conversations that are there. A number of talk show hosts, religious leaders who rallied against COVID-19 and against vaccination, against the use of masking, have died of COVID-19. And with each one that happens, I'm surprised at the anger that I see online. Or maybe not the anger, but the, I, I hate to say hate, but the, 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 the celebration and the death of a human being who didn't share your scientific sophistication. And I know that sounds kind of weird. I mean, these are people who are, by their actions and by their words, causing people to die from a completely preventable disease. And I, and I guess that makes us angry because it should. But we have to think about it a little bit different as a communication strategy. Does it win us hearts and minds to celebrate the death of somebody who was basically wrong and lied to? These are folks who aren't scientists. These aren't scientists who are going into laboratories and say, I found evidence that says it's false. These are people who are parroting the broken and bankrupt words of politicians and others who have fooled them into believing that this is not a real problem. 
So I want you to think about that for a minute. These folks are talk show hosts, religious figures, politicians, whatever, who are dying of COVID-19, who got there because somebody they trusted lied to them. Aren't they really victims who deserve our compassion? Now, granted, you know, they lied to other people and, and then they perpetuated the lie. And they, 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 they continued to cause more death and, and cost and, and harm to small business and all the bad things that come along with perpetuating a pandemic. And I understand that. But at the same time, these are people who didn't know better. And they invested their trust in the wrong people. And so when we go out there and we criticize them and say, ha ha, so-and-so died, good for that, good for him. He should have died a long time ago. Look at the, look at the BS that he perpetuated. How many folks on that side of the equation do you think we're going to change with rhetoric like that? The most important part of all of this is understanding somebody's intent. And there's no easy way to understand that. They just unless you're them. And so we give them the benefit of the doubt. Are they being deliberately deceptive or are they just making a mistake based upon the bad information that they choose to believe? And I know there's a fine line there. And a lot of people argue with me and say, it doesn't matter. They're spreading false information. We have to give them the benefit of the doubt for two reasons. One is because it might be true. You know, we don't want to judge somebody's intent if we don't know for sure. But also, how does it look to the folks who are watching us? Are we coming across as cruel and callous because we uh, are assuming that their intent is devious? Or um, are we giving them the benefit of the doubt and saying they obviously have been misled? We're going to step into this and correct it. And the reason I bring this up is because I see how it can work if we approach this with compassion. And one of the things I said online somewhere was, I'm, I'm going to retweet this, but I'm not going to hit the like button. It was the announcement of the death of some talk radio show host who died of COVID-19. And I said, I'm, I'm going to repeat that he, this happened, but I won't celebrate it. I'm not going to say, I told you so. I'm not going to uh, take a victory lap at his expense. And I think there's a lot we can learn from that. If we're going to change hearts and minds around genetic engineering, around COVID-19, around vaccination in general, around climate change, how do we do this in a way that comes not from um, angry emotion, but rather than compassion, understanding that the people who are against it are people who are fooled. And I don't mean to be soft here because these are people who have made my life a living hell, who trash my career, who caused me all kinds of personal harm. And they did it in 20, in 2015. And, and, and I don't know that I could forgive any of them. Some of them are on my do not Heimlich list, including some in science communication. And we'll talk about that some other year. But the bottom line is, is that these are folks who were fooled by somebody else. They, they, they aren't experts. They were parroting the words of the people they trusted and they invested their trust in the wrong people. And sh how should we handle that as a scientific community? 
if we're going to win the trust of others. So what I want you to do is from now on when we go into the circle and we debate issues like COVID-19 vaccinations, like genetically engineered uh, ingredients or ingredients in food that come from genetically engineered plants, to say it precisely, we need to be more compassionate of those that express contrary opinions to our own. And even those that are, are, are completely false and those that are deadly, we can't just come out and say, you idiot, you're going to kill people. If we're going to change hearts and minds, we need to be soft. We have to be soft. And that's the way that we solve the problem. And I, I never would have believed this. I always thought like the hammer of science solved everything. And that's how I operated for a very long time. I'll just give you more evidence. I'll give you more facts. I'll give you an avalanche of data. I'll explain figure two to you in a way that any idiot could understand. That didn't matter. What the mom in the grocery store wants to know is, is it safe? Or I read online that my child will have infertility if, if my 16-year-old goes and gets the vaccination, that he'll have problems with fertility later in life, and I'm not willing to risk that. You can't go to that person and say, you moron, why would you believe that website? It takes a certain level of compassion to earn their trust. So trust is the, is the operative word. How do we get into conversations with people who may have different thoughts than us and earn their trust? And it's not easy. Trust is an interesting thing. It comes from um, our competence. People trust competence. How well you do what you do. Your reliability. Are you willing to do what you do? So not just can you do it, but will you do it? Your level of intimacy. How much you care. And all of this is is diluted by your motivation. Are you in this for somebody else or are you in this for yourself? Are you just a shill for Monsanto and Pfizer? Or do you really care? Is this for the good of everyone? And so trust is a balance of those, those factors, you know, uh, competence, reliability, um, intimacy, and self-motivation. And that's why the people opposed to these technologies continually use this shill accusation to try to show that you're not interested in their well-being. You're doing this for some other motivation. Because that erodes the trust in your message, especially as others who are watching may perceive it. And so these are the things that we need to approach when we look at the questions with others. When people say something that is appalling. Stepping into that conversation and rather than giving them the science punch, giving them the science hug. How do we say... You know, I understand why you would feel that way. I'm listening to you and I've heard that a thousand times. But let me explain this to you from somebody who's been working in this field for a very long time. Then you need to talk about the things that are important to you. What is your motivation? Why do you care? Affect those two components of the trust equation. 
So in the case of vaccines, I'll say I'm so worried about protecting the, the vulnerable in our society, the folks on chemotherapy, the folks who have comorbidities, the folks who can't be vaccinated like kids. I'll talk about the importance to the economy, to the nation as a whole, to not be putting patients into ICUs at a cost of fifty to $70,000 per patient. That goes against our national budget. These are the reasons that kind of appeal to people across the political spectrum, national security, as well as um, personal uh, care and responsibility. These are things that you try to shoot to cover all those bases. In the area of genetic engineering, I always talk about farmers, consumers, the environment, the food insecure. Those are the most important things to me and why I do what I do. Then you continue that conversation. Let me show you some additional resources you might choose to investigate. I used to feel, you you can even say, I used to feel that way too. But after looking into it further on this website, I think I've changed my mind. Why does that work? It may not change the mind of the person who you're targeting, you know, the person who is making a bad claim. But Jay Bayer and other folks will remind us that the internet is a spectator sport. And for every person who's commenting, there are thousands who are watching, sometimes, maybe a hundred, maybe ten, maybe one. But there's other who are watching how you respond in that environment. And you can develop competence, reliability, and intimacy, which are parts of the trust equation, by simply being a decent human being. And rather than beat somebody over the head with statistics and data saying, I understand why you feel that way, let me tell you what I know. What's really important to me is public health. What's really important to me is protecting the vulnerable. What's really protect in, in it for me is protecting local business and ensuring folks in the hospitality industry have jobs, that our costs don't go through the roof on health care, that we have a, a, an economy that's vibrant because we're not spending all our money on treating COVID patients in ICUs who, who spend billions of dollars um, who don't need those treatments because vaccinations are available. Now, I say this, and sure, I'm a, you know, I say, okay, here's the formula you use, go out and do it. And I'll be very honest, I have a sister who will not see my father in the hospital because she's not vaccinated. She's got a brother who understands this stuff inside and out and who's followed this literature since January of 2020, and she remains unvaccinated. Because she trusts the people in her moonbat circles more than she trusts me. The people who tell her that this is going to cause problems, 5G, whatever. I mean, this, this is the folks she runs with, and, and I don't know how to fix that. So what I'm admitting is that everything I'm telling you is a great strategy, but it's going to fail at times. And there's some you'll never reach. But you invest in them anyway, because that's the right thing to do. And you hold these conversations in the places where people are going for conversations, and that's in social media. So here's the deal. I want you to engage others. I want you to go out and talk to people about the COVID vaccine. 
I want you to have kind conversations about genetic engineering, about climate, you name it. And I want to promote the idea of using the hashtag science hug. (laughs) And here's how I want to use it. This next week, I would like all of you to go and follow the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag GMO. Follow hashtag GMO. And you find a lot of accounts there that are, that have thousands and thousands of followers and put out these little toxic blurbs and, you know, other people who make stupid comments about, you know, something they heard in the Whole Foods parking lot, you know, whatever. But I want you to follow the hashtag GMO with me. And I want you to respond to each one with a kind, compassionate, and values-based comment. In other words, when you read something that's patently false, I want you to say, I understand where you're coming from, or, or I understand why you might feel that way, or, or even say, many people feel that way, but, you know, it's never, for instance, it's never been shown that this is harmful technology to people. Or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Follow my lead on this. But basically the idea is, let's go in and everything that has hashtag GMO, do a, a, a reply to it, which can be a, uh, um, uh, quote tweet or a regular reply and reply to it in a kind way. Let's show our better angels as a science literate community bent on change for public good. And here's the point. You're not going to change the mind of the person with that account that might have hundreds of thousands of followers. There's a couple there that always just tweet with the hashtag GMO. Um, probably bots. You know, they're probably just bots. But here's the deal. You may not change their mind. You won't change a bot's mind. <laughs> but you can change the, potentially, some of those 200,000 followers. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to be in the space where they get to see a kind response, a high road response to a toxic tweet. And let's use the hashtag science hug. And once we do that next week, if this really looks good, we'll do a little blurb in the middle of the, of the normal podcast and talk about the place we're going to look at the hashtag that week. And we'll go after COVID vaccines. We'll go after the anti-maskers. You know, hashtag burn the mask. We'll do that next week. But let's go through these one at a time. There's something like 25,000 people, maybe even more, who download this podcast um, every month. Let's go ahead and put, imagine if we went on Twitter and found every piece of bogus information and met it with 25,000 kind science hugs. I think we got something here. So I'm sitting in my mom and dad's old house. Nobody's here. Nobody's been here for a while. It's got weird spider webs and dust everywhere. It's kind of sad being here, but this is where I'm staying, why I'm close to where he is, why he recuperates from this personal disaster. 
Maybe we could dedicate this to him. You know, he was a guy who was way into science and very much into doing things for other people. Very, very kind person who did a lot for others, whether it was give them a job or do work where others would not do work, doing work in um, communities around the Chicago area where others wouldn't even drive in there to do the work that he would give companies, you know, breaks and opportunities and long story. But um, let's do this in a little dedication to him that all of us investigate those hashtags and let's give him a big hashtag science hug and see if it catches on because it might. And if it does, imagine if we could change the course of COVID-19 or maybe genetic engineering, maybe think stupid climate change, just by training a generation that in a time where people are angry, when people uh, spew hate, where people spew angry messages in social media, where all of us um, gave it a little softer touch and had a much bigger impact. And what if we ended up on a planet where the way we got things done most effectively was by saying, hey, I love you, but. <laughs> and all of this matters because angry messaging, anger has consequences. And I remember back in 2015 after the New York Times article when I had the world's largest newspaper put me on the front page of the paper telling the world my intentions, that I worked for agrochemical companies to uh, defend uh, them and uh, spread, implying that I was spreading false information to benefit companies and that I was reimbursed for, or I was paid to lobby when I was never paid or never lobbied. (laughs) But that intent was being paraded all over the world, all over the internet, and people were harsh. They were absolutely horrible. And uh, professionally, personally, just destroying my world. And I remember sitting on a plane 11 days later, going to Montreal for the Trottier Symposium that Joe Schwartz runs, a fantastic meeting, where I was in that plane and they said that there are some mechanical problems and, um, you know, it was up in the air what would be happening. And, uh, literally, um, and, um, I remember sitting there thinking that it's okay if the plane crashes. And I kind of actually was hoping it would because I didn't want to do it anymore. Everything I had worked for my entire life was taken apart and, and all the trust that I had built as a, as an independent scientist who makes up his decisions based on evidence and data was gone. And that was hard. And I hadn't yet figured out how I was going to bounce back from it. I I was still suffering through it. But the meanness from online, the hate that was coming through my local paper, my uh, through Craigslist in, in Gainesville, Florida. I mean, they were infecting any conduit they could do to get a hold of me. Um, a GM Watch, these hateful websites, USRTK, which to this day just, just spread hate. 
just you can read about how I don't have a garden. I live on a freaking farm. You know, I mean, they, they actually criticize the weirdest things about about me. Source watch. You know, you read about these places online that say who you are and what your intentions are when they don't know and they don't match what I know my intentions are. These are really bad actors, and I think that their hate and their anger does not, do not, or does not win them favor with the people in the middle. And we need to contrast that. Hate can have severe consequences. I think it was August 27 that a friend of mine had a problem. He, uh, not a close friend, but a guy I used to ride bikes with years ago. We used to do distance rides, you know, uh, you know, these 60 miles, 100 miles, whatever. And a good guy, locally engaged politically, very into social justice, um, workers' rights, a lot of uh, important issues that he was very passionate about, and um, always took a lot of heat from others in the community who didn't see eye to eye with his political beliefs and his political position. And I remember back when we'd hang out, we'd say, hey, come on out with us for a beer. And he'd say, no, I really can't go. No, I'm not. I never could go. Never could. If we popped a bunch by there, by, you know, in the bike shop, he'd leave. Um, never asked why. Never mattered. Um, you know, some people it's religious. Some people it's whatever. But some people have substance abuse problems. And those demons uh, demand that they stay clear of uh, different addictive substances. And, and I don't know the, his case, but, um, on an, sometime in late August, I think 27th, he, um, got into a car wreck and left the scene. And when they caught him, he had empty bottle in the car and other things and he was intoxicated. And they arrested him as they should, and they took him down and booked him, and uh, they stuck his mugshot on in the paper, as they do in some places still, which I am totally against, because you haven't been convicted, you've only been arrested, and, you know, in this case, they probably had a pretty damn good case against him, and he was wrong for doing what he did, there's no question, and the system would have punished him very hard for what he did, no question, but the online community punished him more. And the comment sections of the newspaper article, the online stuff on Facebook and other, um, it was incredibly harsh, incredibly punishing. And I remember, remembered how it would feel to be him. The next day, he jumped off a five-story parking garage to his death. The meanness has consequences. And that's why we have to really strive to reverse that trend because of the contrast it can create. Not only is it much more compassionate and much more reasonable towards other people, the way we should be acting. And, and yeah, sure. I know that Joan and Thacker will go back and find a, uh, a, a tweet that I put out there in, nine, in 2009 where I called somebody a dick or something. And just, you know, it'll happen. Of course I lose my temper too. And, of course, back then I wasn't nearly as nuanced as I am now about these topics because I see the difference that kindness can create in an environment of angry derision. This is why it's so important for us to take the high road in these conversations. 
Okay, well, I'm going to dial it down now, but this has been a very special Talking Biotech podcast, a very special Talking Biotech podcast. Um, it's been a uh, episode, um, <laughs> it's a little different than others, and I really wish I could have done the normal, but I think this one's important. And it's something I've been thinking about for a while, and um, no better time to do it than now. So meet me in social media space, folks. Let's go do the hashtag science hug, starting with hashtag GMO this week. Let's turn it around. As always, leave a review on iTunes. Don't do that. (laughs) Not today. Uh Shoot me some good vibes and realize that I'm, I'm on the ropes here pretty much suffering through this, but we're going to use the good things of science to get us through it. It's working for him and it's going to be working for my dad. It's working for me and, um, and we'll make it happen. So this is the Talking Biotech podcast. Um, thank you very much for listening and I'll talk to you again next week. And don't forget to use the hashtag science hug. Let's do this. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.